You're listening to Spoonie Tea Time, where we talk about faith, books, and chronic illness. I'm Holly Conklin. I was diagnosed with arthritis shortly after graduating university, and this radically shaped my life, my faith, and my way of interacting with the world. Join me for a glimpse into the life of the chronically ill. I am slowly getting caught up on life. Keyword is slowly. I'm trying really hard not to burn myself out again. Flare-ups suck. And I think I've been having too many lately, and my guess is that's because I've been pushing myself a little too hard, which is really hard not to do. I'm guessing a lot of Spoonies are with me when I say that one of the hardest things about having a chronic illness is finding your limitations and staying within them. That balance feels near impossible to accomplish, but it's so important, and I'm trying to uh, figure out how much I can do every day without flaring up so that I can keep up with all my health routine and trying to keep my life as unstressful as possible and keep my space clean and, you know, maybe try and work towards making money again for once. That would be amazing but it takes time. And that's probably a good thing for me because I could really use some more patience in my life. And learning to just accept that things are going to be slow will probably help me out a lot. My new goal is to not flare up before I record the next episode, but to keep my life vaguely in order. That would be amazing. We will see how I do. In the meantime, I have another book to discuss. For a while there, I was picking up Audible books whenever there was a middle grade one for Dirt Cheap. I've mentioned this before, I am working on my own middle grade novel. I try to read that age group when I can. Most recently, I picked up Zero G by Dan Wells, which was on an Audible daily deal. It's about a 12-year-old kid, Zero, who takes a trip with his family far away in the galaxy to a new system where they're going to colonize a planet. If you've seen Passengers with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, then it's the same kind of idea where Zero wakes up in the middle of the trip and he's the only one. Everyone else is still in their cryopods and will be for another 100 years or so. And suddenly, the ship with its 20,000 passengers is being boarded by pirates who are trying to steal it. So Zero by himself, little 12-year-old Zero, has to save all 20,000 colonists without waking anybody up. You could call it a coming-of-age story. At the heart of the book, there's this kid who's struggling with being thrown into a situation that feels far beyond him, and he doesn't have any help from adults. In fact, that's the first thing he tries to do when he's faced with such difficulties. He immediately wants to wake up his dad, But he can't do that, and instead he has to rely on his own wits and trust what he learned from his family already and put that into action and save everyone. Which I think is something we can all relate to. 
I mean, we've all gone through that to some extent, learning to grow up and being faced with more and more responsibilities. Most of us fully grown adults don't want responsibility. We would rather someone else deal with things. I don't think that's necessarily a bad instinct. There usually is someone who would be better qualified for a task, but that person may be busy doing something else. I know I can relate to Zero's struggle. He wants to wake up his dad and I'm like, I am with you 100%. I want other people to deal with every problem I see, but the reality is just like Zero, I have to take responsibility for what's in my life that I can actually address. For me, that means starting a podcast about faith and chronic illness that I kept wanting to listen to but couldn't ever find. And it also means writing a fantasy novel for children that I would want to read. And like a lot of us, when Zero does step up to the task and when he admits that he has to do this alone and accepts it, he finds himself quite capable. And one of the reasons is because his family did raise him well. A lot of children's stories these days, I'm thinking especially Disney, the adult figures get in the way more than they help and you see kids having to sneak around authorities like their parents and teachers and whatnot in order to succeed at saving the world. But I liked how in this one, yeah, you have Zero having to learn to fend for himself by himself, which I think is an appealing story to a lot of children who want independence and want to grow up. But his family does not get in the way of this. In fact, they support it. When trying to figure out what to do, Zero relies on his father's voice to guide him. He remembers how his father taught him to deal with situations and he uses that but in his own way, in his own uniquely 12-year-old Zero way. And as a result, he comes up with some pretty fun and effective ways of dealing with the situation. It ends up being essentially home alone in space. Although I personally don't think I will continue to read the second book in the series, I did somewhat enjoy the book, but I don't think it's one of those books that ages well into adulthood. Some children's stories are so fantastic even as adults. I'm thinking Chronicles of Narnia and everything Pixar, but I don't think this particular one falls into that category. I do, however, think I would have really enjoyed it as a kid if just to learn things about space, and I know how much I enjoyed thinking outside the box and putting myself into other people's shoes and situations that I could never dream of being in myself. And I think it would have been so much fun to imagine flying through this zero gravity spaceship and being the only one awake on it and wondering what I would do in that situation. So I do think it suits the target audience well, I just don't think it goes beyond that, at least not very far. A friend suggested I do an episode on food. I think she may have been joking, but I love food and I feel like I have a special relationship with it. And the topic also kind of fits well with some of the themes I've been discussing, so 
Why not, right? It felt especially fitting just coming off Lent and Pascha. Pascha meaning Passover, so it's essentially Easter, but in the Eastern Orthodox Church, we calculate it using the Julian calendar, which is an older calendar system that was replaced in 1582 by the Gregorian calendar, which is the one we currently use. There's some interesting history behind that change and why the Orthodox Church still uses the Julian calendar to calculate Pascha, but suffice it to say, I celebrated Easter about a month after everyone else around here, hence talking about Lent this late in the game. A few episodes ago, I started kind of an unofficial mini-series on the power of suffering, making the claim that suffering is in fact really beneficial to us and can be a source of great joy, which kind of raises the question, if suffering is so wonderful, or at least can produce wonderful things, I'm not advocating pain, but... If it can be so beneficial to us and lead to joy that we can't yet understand, then should we be seeking out suffering? Well, the answer is kind of, actually. I don't think we should all become masochists, but the reality is it is a very long-standing Christian tradition to deliberately make things difficult for yourself in various ways, but usually involving food and fasting from it. And when I say it's a long-standing tradition, I mean it's kind of older than Christianity itself. There are so many references to fasting throughout scripture, so we know that it was a Jewish practice before Christ even became incarnate. Christ himself talks about when you fast, not if you fast. And we have very early church records of specific days set aside for fasting, such as Wednesdays and Fridays to commemorate Christ's betrayal on Wednesday and his crucifixion on Friday. These weren't total fasts. The church had specific foods that the people would abstain from, again, every Wednesday and Friday and later on for other seasons of the year, such as Lent. On these days, they would abstain from, among other things, meat and dairy and wine, and also just generally not be gluttons during the fast days. My understanding is that for a long time, that's just what Christians did as they fasted. It wasn't a weird thing. It was the norm. And Eastern Orthodox Christians still do that. Every Wednesday and Friday, they won't be eating meat or dairy. So why do this? Why has fasting been a tradition for thousands of years, not just in Christianity, but a lot of different cultures? What is the point? It sounds rather difficult and annoying if you ask me. I'm thinking there are probably a lot of reasons for fasting that I'm not even aware of. I'm pretty new to the game myself. My understanding, though, is that fasting is kind of a controlled form of suffering. We've been talking about all these ways that suffering transforms us more into Christ-likeness by, for example, humbling us and making us more dependent on God and strengthening us, but what about when we're not suffering, when life is all sunshine and rainbows? Are we just supposed to not grow in our faith? Well, obviously not, and I know you don't have to be in pain to grow, but pain can help a lot. 
This past year, I was talking to a priest about fasting, and before I could get very far, he stopped me and said, no, you should not even think about fasting. Your illness is your fast. It teaches you all the same things a fast is meant to teach you. Again, that humility, that dependence, and also training you in self-discipline and all that. But I'm sure that if I was perfectly healthy, he would give me the opposite advice, say that I really should consider fasting in so far as I can in order to build those spiritual muscles. Because that is what fasting does. It trains us to fight the battles that actually matter, but in a way that's not super dangerous to us. If I goof up and eat meat on a day that I previously decided not to eat meat on, then it's not really the end of the world. But the discipline I learn from fasting can prepare me for other more serious temptations that could actually destroy me. After all, if I can't refrain from eating a few food groups a couple times a week, then how can I hope to master myself in other ways? For most of my life, I shied away from this kind of asceticism and thought that fasting sounded horrible, to be honest. I'm guessing most people would agree with me on that one. And I struggled with those passages in scriptures that talked about fasting. It was hard for me to engage with the Bible without feeling like I probably should be fasting, but A, I don't want to, and B, I don't really know how or why I would. But listening to Orthodox Christians talk about how they've been benefiting from fasting and growing from it and learning so much made me crave it. And that's not, from what I gather, an abnormal reaction. Um, again, I just went through Lent, the most well-known fasting period leading up to Pascha, and... For Lent, I was reading these daily Lenten prayers, and they spoke about the fast and gave thanks for it and celebrated it and talked about it as a joy, which felt very strange to me, but again, made me excited about it and wishing I could participate more. Again, it's not really the right time for me to be experimenting with fasting for a number of reasons, but it's an odd feeling actually wanting to do that. I had to remind myself that anything I prayed with regards to the fast and celebrating it also applied to me dealing with my own daily pain. That all these wonderful benefits from willingly abstaining from food can also be granted to me when I willingly bear my pain in a way that honors God. And although I don't participate in church fasts, I do know that from personal experience, learning to master your eating habits can be a wonderful thing on a number of levels and kind of empowering. For a long time, I didn't really care about what I ate. I didn't like the idea of imposing restrictions on myself. I preferred to just live my life and enjoy what I wanted to enjoy. Eventually, as I got older and moved on to university, I started caring a little bit more about my health, but I still wasn't going to be aggressive about it. I tried to improve my diet a little bit here and there, slowly cutting back on sugar or what have you, but I wasn't very serious about it. That is, until I developed a chronic illness that just devastated my life and started learning more about how diet and lifestyle can have a profound effect on how you feel. 
I started working with a wonderful functional nutrition coach who helped me understand the underlying causes of my pain and fatigue and how to start addressing that in sustainable ways that actually felt doable. The changes started so small, like drinking more water, for example, things that were super doable. Eventually, I went gluten-free, which helped a lot and cut way back on my sugar, which also helped a lot. And just those two things alone were so hard and I never would have done them if I hadn't been falling apart. But even aside from the health benefits that I started seeing, it just felt really good to have that kind of control. I used to devour sugar. I had such a sweet tooth. I used to like dump sugar spoonfuls of it onto my shreddies for breakfast. I remember as a kid, I would deliberately spill my brown sugar on the table so that I could eat it straight up off the table. Going from that to where I am now was a shift I never would have thought I would accomplish. But I remember thinking if I learned how to give up sugar. I can do anything. And indeed, since then, I've made so many more changes to my diet to the point where it's basically unrecognizable from where it was before. And although I'm happy with these things, I do often wish I started on them sooner before my health went to pieces, partly because I would definitely be feeling a lot better now if I had been eating well from the beginning, but I don't want to beat myself up over that. I'm super happy that I've been able to do what I've been able to do, but I kind of wish I had had the opportunity to explore fasting and self-discipline for the sake of growing spiritually before I was forced to do it for the sake of my health. But even so, I am really thankful that During all this, while I was updating my diet and lifestyle, I was being slowly exposed to more people talking about fasting. Especially at the beginning, it was really hard going out for lunch with my friends and not being able to eat what they're eating and having to be super careful about everything. And I could feel the temptation to get really down about it and start getting all self-pitying about how I was never going to have these yummy things ever again. But because I had started learning about the joys of asceticism, I was more equipped to see these dietary restrictions for what they are, which isn't just annoying, pesky things that are ruining my life but an opportunity to grow and learn self-discipline and become closer to what I meant to be. And that understanding really helped me not sink into despair about everything going on. Of course, it's still hard sometimes, and now it presents a new problem, coming back to pride again. Sometimes people start complaining about how hard the fast is, and I'm like, dude, I have been doing a way harder fast for months and months now, and I am fine, like, get over it. But then I have to remind myself that I was there. It was really difficult. And again, like, what credit is it to me if I start taking care of myself when the only other option is to completely fall apart? But, like, fasting just because you love God and want to be closer to him and be more like him, that's pretty stinking fantastic. 
And it also makes food so much better when you actually do allow yourself indulgences. Although the Orthodox Church has a long-standing tradition of fasting and asceticism, it also has a long-standing tradition of feasting. After Lent, we have not just one day of good food, but a full week of feasting, which I did not have the energy for. But we had really good food for uh, Pascha itself. I'm careful about what I eat, but it still tastes really good sometimes when I have the energy to make it taste good. So for anyone out there who is forced to eat food that they don't want because of their health condition, I totally get that. And I hope you see and understand how much of a boss it's making you because mastering your stomach, you can master anything. And for anyone who doesn't have to worry about everything they eat, great, that's awesome. And maybe consider toying and experimenting with fasting. It really doesn't have to be that scary. If you'd like to chew on a bit more information on the topic, I'm going to link to a two-episode podcast mini-series on traditional Christian fasting. And again, it's really not scary. The guy's not like saying, if you don't fast, you're going to hell or anything. He talks about all the great things that can come from fasting, but also discusses it in a way where he understands that we're gonna mess up. We're not perfect. And a lot of us can't fast all that much for health reasons or a number of other reasons. And he is super compassionate about that and offers, you know, tips for getting started and not overwhelming yourself. So if that interests you, again, it's just two episodes and I will link it in the show description. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear and want to support more content like this, you can do so financially at buymeacoffee.com slash time. You can also help out by giving us a rating and a review on iTunes or your chosen podcast platform. Until next time, rest hard and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.